This series is called um, A Simple Faith. The idea is that here at Grace Church, we do a lot of deconstruction. We, 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 we like to ask questions to make sure that the things that we are saying and believing and practicing about God are accurate, are true, are healthy. And so at the same time, when you do that a lot, sometimes things get very, very complicated. Um, you ever taken apart a cell phone before? It looks very simple, but when you begin to take all the pieces, it will just begin to spread out. And it can be, it's easier to take things apart than to put them back together. How about that? All right? And so, and so sometimes it's important for us to remember the value of simple things. And so this entire series was about trying to break down the Christian faith in the most simple, basic elements. And so for us, this, in this series, we've had three weeks already. We've talked about prayer, we've talked about the Scripture, and we've talked about worship. And so Pastor Zach taught you guys last week, to worship God is to sacrifice, to take your children onto a mountain and to burn them, right? The uh, completely burnt offering. And everyone is completely uncomfortable. That's your Bible, people. That's your Bible. We talked about the story, about the Scriptures, about how the heart of the Scriptures of Christian, it's not necessarily that thing you walked in with or the thing that's on your phone. The heart of the Scriptures of Christian is about having the story of Jesus. It's to be people who are shaped and formed by story, the story of the way that Jesus lived, breathed, and acted. And then we talked about prayer, about how the heart of being a Christian is to believe that there isn't just a God, but that this God desires to connect with you. And so in prayer, we step out, we, we extend faith with the ability and with the desire to be connected to. And anytime you reach out to connect to someone, you're risking harm, right? Because you can always be rejected. And so the Christian faith has these three elements to it. You have prayer, story, and you have worship. But there's one element we haven't talked about yet. So in the Scriptures, you have story, and you have worship, and you have prayer, but there's something that comes before all of those things. In Genesis 1.1, I'm just going to read it, it says this, When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark, and God's wind swept over the waters. The other word in your translation might say spirit. And, and uh, the way that you've been taught this before, the Spirit hovers over the waters. And when the Spirit was hovering over the waters, God said, let there be light, and so light appeared. Now, there's something interesting that's about to happen here. Let's go to Revelation. So we start at the beginning, the first chapter. Now, let's go to the last chapter in, in your Bible. And who is present? The Spirit. But it's also the, this, this, this other character. It says, the Spirit and the Bride, and the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty say, come. Let the one who wishes to receive life-giving water as a gift. Now, in the first and last chapters of your Bible, there is an emphasis on this one character of the Trinity, meaning this one manifestation of the nature of God, Spirit. Before there was the earthly human being, Jesus of Nazareth, before we understood who the Father God was, before we had a story of the people of God or of the faith of, of Abraham, before we had any uh, story or existence of human prayer, before any human ever offered worship or sacrifice, there was spirit. Spirit was first. And in the Scriptures, spirit is actually something we see at work in the last chapter. Now, Revelation is not the end of the story, by the way. Revelation is the second beginning. 
It is the first glimpse into what the next book is going to look like, if you would. The next continuance of the story. And so the Spirit is present, speaking and being a part of the first beginning. And He's also the character involved in the second beginning. Now there's something about Spirit. What is Spirit, by the way? Okay, who's brave? What is Spirit? Anyone want to take a shot? Come on. What is spirit? Come on, just something. Spirit is what? Us. I like that. So uh, uh, it's the Razorback spirit. It could be an us thing, correct? All right. Anybody else? What do you got? I got one brave man. I got one John Wayne in the house. Anybody else? God. Hey, I like that. Now, the Father is often referred to as spirit, right? The Father is spirit. Anyone else? Ooh, enthusiasm. Now, spirit is often a word used to describe the essence of someone, right? They have a great spirit, right? Oh, just to be around. Oh, they just lift everyone's spirits, right? Anybody else? What else you got? Spirit is what? Invisible. I like that. All right. Here's what the Oxford English says. If you guys don't know about dictionaries, this is the dictionary. You understand? Because it's British. And it's their language anyway. Okay, so they know what's right. Uh, Here's what they said. Spirit, the non-physical part of a person regarded as their true self and as capable of surviving physical death or separation. Now, anytime we have to describe what something is by saying what it is not, here's a clue. It's hard to understand. When you have to describe something by starting by saying, well, it's not this, that means there is some gray area in our understanding of a thing. Spirit is difficult because the only way that we understand spirit is by understanding it's not body. It's not physical. It's not tangible. It's not, are you able to smell a spirit? Ooh, that spirit stank. (laughs) Are you able to touch it, to taste spirit? It's intangible, right? It's, okay, it is formless. Formless. Now, this is the part about spirit that I want us to hold on to. In the ways that God has manifested himself to us, the Father God is known as transcendent, which means he's off away from us. He's apart from us, meaning uh, we can't reach him, right? He's up there. We are here. And, of course, when I say up there, I don't mean like, you know, vertically, because if we're at the South Pole, that would be South, right? And do you understand what I'm saying? There's no real up there. Does that make sense? It's an idea. The idea of God being out of my reach, he's transcendent. When I walked in the, uh, the church this morning, Travis was trying to be very, very kind, and so he, he held the door open so I could walk underneath his arm. <laughs> London Bridges, you know, like, thank you, Travis. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Transcendent, right? Now, Jesus is referred to as God manifested as imminent, meaning near, right? It's, it's the God who is there who is now here, right? You can touch him. You can, you can you could smell him. You can hear him, right? You can, yeah. He, he is able to be encountered, to be measured, to be given form. Jesus is God in a form, Now, the Spirit is a very kind of a tricky thing to define because the Holy Spirit is God 
transcendent, meaning I can't grab the Holy Spirit. I can't hold the Holy Spirit. I can't put the Holy Spirit in a box. I can't measure the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's, it's God who is transcendent, meaning he's, I can't get a hold of him. But it's also God who is imminent. He is near. It's God who is unable to be contained, but God who is present with us. And so the Holy Spirit is the most, for me personally, one of the most interesting ways that God shows himself. When it, the form of, of his nature that to me is the most confusing. Because he can be so close to us, but still beyond us. And this is what I want to talk about. The Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of God, is part of his very nature that is formless. And to be formless doesn't mean that he doesn't have shape or form. It means that he is not confined to one form. So, for example, in the Scriptures, he's referred to often as breath, as wind, or, or uh, air even. But he's also referred to as water. What things do air and water do? They're able to take what? Different forms, right? Some physical science for everybody, right? Back to ninth grade, correct? He's not a solid state. He's a gas and a liquid. Fun? Okay. So he takes forms, but he's not limited to form. Here is, is what I want us to understand about the Spirit of God. The reason that spirit is a, is a crucial element to being a Christian, one of the most basic, simple understandings of being a Christian is, is to embrace spirit, because here's why. Because to embrace spirit means this. It means to embrace the very fact that God is more. There is always going to be more of God that is outside of our understanding, of our reach, of our experience, of our comprehension, there will always be more of God. Let that sit with you. To embrace that God is spirit is to accept the fact that there is always going to be more of God than what you can possibly contain, experience, measure, know, fathom, guess, dream. There will always be more. Sit with that for a second. Now, there's something about human nature that does not like this very concept. To say that God will always be more, you're saying, I can experience God a thousand times. We could have 20 generations of people whose entire lives are spent thinking about God. We can write doctrines and ideas, study the Scriptures. You're telling me there's always going to be things beyond even what I can learn from my Bible? Heresy. Heresy. You're telling me there's always going to be more than what my denomination says about God? Or what my parents told me about God? Or what Pastor Devin said about God? Now, in the last seven years, I've undertaken a personal journey with exploring and, and trying to pursue God in places I never thought I would. And in that, it's done a lot to create the environment we have at Grace. It's very odd and different. We, we bring in all these different forms and shapes of Christianity because we, we see that God shows up in all these different places. But what's come from that is I've gotten to experience some really interesting name-calling because Christians don't like to judge people, correct? Come on, it's okay to laugh. Just think about it. The most judgmental people in your life are not Christians, Sarcasm, okay? 
I've been called a free thinker or progressive or edgy or interesting. But my favorite is this, heretic. Now, heretic means this. Heretic means to go outside of the bounds, meaning picture your circle, and this circle is what is agreed upon. This is good and safe and agreeable. To be a heretic means to step outside the lines. Now, I am someone who supports orthodoxy, which is the circle. I believe the circle is very important. You have to have the circle, because if you don't have the circle, you get all sorts of crazy, crazy nonsense, right? But we have a problem with the circle. Here's the problem with it. The circle will always be man-made. It's limited to human understanding, human experience, human reason, human logic, deduction. Now, we have to have these things. These things, Scripture, story, is a crucial part of being a Christian. We have to have the circle. How do we know if this is a Christian or not a Christian? How do we know who the Christian is? We've got to have the circle. But here's the problem. There is a sub-theme in the Bible that you came in here today with. Whether you're holding it or it's in your cell phone, whatever, there's a sub-theme in the Scriptures. It is this. The story begins with the Spirit, ends with the Spirit, and the entire time we are always trying to catch up to the Spirit. We are always trying to understand, to learn more, to catch up, to chase, to figure out the Spirit, to find out what the Spirit of God is and what He's doing and what the Spirit cares about. And now, Ecclesiastes is a book inside your Bible, which, by the way, almost was not orthodox. Multiple people have tried to put that book outside the circle in church history. And there's a line in there attributed to Solomon, and it goes back to his, his days of despair. And he says this, All things are but a chasing of the wind. Vanity, vanity, meaning in vain. Vanity is not saying, you know, to look in a mirror and say, oh, look how beautiful I am. Vanity is to do something that has no point. It's vain. I, I am doing this in vain. There is no good outcome to what I'm doing. And so he said, with all of my wisdom, all of my experience, all of my days on the, on the earth, all of my books, all of my giftings, all of my money, all of my successes, all of my relationships, here's what I've come to learn, that all of life, is vanity, vanity. Everything that we do is pointless because everything we do is a chasing of the wind. Now, there's part of what he's saying that is extremely depressing. It should be depressing a little bit. The person who has more human experience and human w wisdom and, and uh, all the things that we try to, to seek, right? Power, success, fame, whatever. And he, he came to result with this very kind of a morbid statement. But the other part of it is actually very beautiful because... Whether he knew it or not, he is honing in on what the human experience is outside of the presence of God. Is that to be a human separated from God, our life is but one thing. We are constantly chasing after the Spirit of God. Meaning, we are in constant pursuit of what is most real. Okay, I'll say this way. Have you ever had a dream or a goal, or a job, or a person that was like you, because your entire life was about getting to that place. I want the job. I want to marry this person. I want to have kids. I want to do whatever it is. I want to have a million dollars. And you've all reached that, because I can see it in your giving, right? 
Come on, we're going to have fun. It's church. Come on now. Come on now. What happens when you reach it? Are you satisfied? Anyone who's ever reached any goal they've ever pursued knows this. It's never enough. Now, Christian thinkers, Buddhist thinkers, Greek thinkers, they all saw this element in human nature. That we're always searching for something that's beyond us. As if we're created to search for something beyond us. As if we're not ever fully happy until we're chasing a dream. You can notice this in people in business, in sports. They work their whole life to make it to get to that college team. And then what's it about? I want to make it to the pros and play for this team. I want to, be, I want to win a championship. How many sports stars retire after they win the championship? All the names jumping out of your mouth, right? How many CEOs, when they build that monster company, man, I've done it, I'm good. Let's relax. There's always a need to search out more. Now, Gnostics, now, understand this. In church history, the Apostle Paul, the people he's always he's yelling about, you know, all these people who are a threat to the faith and these mutilators of the body, these guys are Gnostics. The reason that you have a Bible, okay, at all is because of the Gnostic faith. It was a branch of the, of the church that started going crazy and had some really unhealthy ideas about Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul began to fight them, and the reason you have Bibles is because they wanted to, 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 to describe what is Christian and what is Gnostic. But there is one thing that I want you to learn from the Gnostics, which please don't tell other pastors I'm teaching you Gnostic <laughs> doctrine. It's not good. But there's one thing that is beautiful. They taught that every human contains the divine spark. To me, it sounds like Transformers. The all spark, right? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah. They understood it as God's nature, his, his passion, his spirit, his flame of energy and power and whatever it was that created everything we have, that he took a part of himself, you can picture it, and just kind of put a spark in all things which are created. So it takes your body and your matter from being a rock or from being water or from being, you know, anything else and gives it life, gives it and animates it, right? It brings it to life, is the spark of God. Now, this is a very Christian idea, but I just like the way the Gnostics put it, the, the divine spark. What it is in us, the reason that spirit is crucial to being Christian is that there is spirit in us, which is to say this, there is God in us. You are not God, which is what the Gnostics would argue. They'd say that you are God, okay? You are not God, but you are of God. Does that make sense? Okay, your children are not you, but they are what? Of you. And it freaks you out when you start seeing yourself and your kids. Anybody else? All three of my kids, like, twirl their hair. Now, I do not do that. Don't get that in your head, okay? But that's Nisa, right? All three of my kids will be tired in the van, and all three of them and her are sitting there doing this. <laughs> what in the world is that? I mean, how does that go through DNA? I don't know. Okay. But you get it. But what is in the Spirit of God that is in us is a longing and desire to connect to the Spirit, meaning that little part of the Spirit in us is always pulling us 
to reconnect with spirit. That's why there's something powerful. That's why to be a Christian, which we didn't add this in, but there's something crucial about community, is there is a, an encounter with God, with the divine, with the spirit of God, when we connect to the spirit in each other. The reason that the Christian faith is built on gathering together, the reason we don't do online church, okay, is because gathering is important. It's not just about scriptures and teaching. It's not just about giving, because we could do all that from our couches. It's about getting around each other, because there's something about the spark. There's something about worshiping alone in your car, but then you worship with people. There's something about singing. You hear other people sing, and it connects you. There's sparks that start to fly. To be a Christian is to embrace that there that God is always going to be more. There will always be more of God than what you know. But the second part of being Christian is this. To accept there will always be more of God than what I know and to commit my life to chasing after the more. If you notice the passage we started with in John, I wish I had more time to open up that verse. It's, it's almost confusing, but it's a beautiful verse. I love the way that um, uh, Peterson puts it in the Message Bible. He says, uh, unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation. Oh my goodness. I'll say this way. Until a person connects to what was to the very truth, the deepest truth, that there is a part of God that has always been and will always be, and that is always drawing us to Himself. Okay, I hate paper. This is why I use an iPad. Stupid paper. But the verse is good. Read it, okay? You should, should never kill any more trees. And so with spirit, again, you know, I, I could talk about spirit, you know, for, for weeks and weeks because it is so hard to explain. But the heart of, of the simple matter of being Christian is this. We are people who believe that God is more than what we know, what we see, what we taste, what we've experienced, what we understand. God will always be more. When I was nine years old, my image of God was a certain thing. My experience of God, my understanding of God was limited to my understanding and experience at that point. When I was 15, it was different. When I was 20, it was different. When I was 30, it was different. And guess what? If your image and experience of God hasn't changed, there might be some questions we need to ask ourselves. And so I was saying, you know, I've had some really interesting experiences as I've personally pursued God, and uh, I, I always love the H word, anytime someone wants to talk about heresy. But I ask myself, what is it in my personal background that prepared me for a life like this, that prepared me to pursue God outside circles that I've been told? Because what's interesting about Orthodox circles is every group has their own circle. Is that agreed? If you guys have been to a Baptist church, there's a circle of what is okay and all you guys who went to Assemblies of God churches, all of you guys, you were not in the circle. Does that make sense? When you started hooping or hollering with flags and speaking tongues, not okay, right? If you guys went to a Pentecostal church and you came in here and I don't see your skirts down to those ankles, you're outside, this is okay, you understand what I'm saying? What prepared me for a life of pursuing God outside of circles, it was my charismatic childhood. 
Growing up in, in, in rooms, in spaces where there was energy and noise and sweat and a whole lot of crazy. I mean, I think every charismatic church should hire a full-time shrink. Just my opinion, okay? Coming from a pastor of charismatic churches, okay? Even though there was so much chaos and there was a lot of fake and a lot of flesh, even as a young child, I experienced that there was going to be ways. I'll say it this way. I learned at a young age that there was always going to be ways that God showed himself that would make people uncomfortable. And that, and that even at that age, I had to choose. Would I, would, I, would I rather choose comfort or do I want all of God I could ever have? And so as much as I've changed and there's things I do and things I don't agree with that I experienced and were taught in, in, in the places where I grew up, that element, that little nugget, has played a huge role in my life. And it will always be there. And I think it's something that we all have to come to, to wrestle with. Will I choose comfort? Or will I choose to not settle? Do I want all of God or am I comfortable with just some of God? I know that I will never encounter everything that He has until, until Christ returns. But even now, am I willing to settle or not? And the reason that the Spirit, that the manifestation of God as Spirit, specifically the Holy Spirit, and when you talk about tongues or gifts, it's the Spirit, and the reason that everyone gets uncomfortable with that is because even though those things have been abused and there's things that are crazy in the ways that they've been used, the very nature of the Spirit makes all of us uncomfortable because the Spirit shows us and reminds us that God will never be contained to our boxes, ever. It doesn't matter what church you ever go to. He will never be contained inside Grace Church teaching or theology or practice. Even if we get called crazy, He's never even going to fit into our box. Even if, even if you find a church who's got the biggest box possible, He will never be contained to these boxes. There will always be more. And we will always have to choose. Are we going to commit our life to chasing after the wind? Because that is exactly what it feels like. We will always be having to respond. We will never be able to control where the Spirit goes or what He's doing. We will never be able to control God or to dictate terms with God. We'll never be able to measure or to contain. We will always have to play the game of submission and pursuit with God. And this is one of the crucial parts of being a Christian. Will we choose to embrace God as Spirit? God that takes many forms, but is not confined to atheism. 